1: You are listening to The Therapy Podcast with your host, Schloimi Balsam. Hello and welcome to The Therapy Podcast. I was inspired to crank out a couple more episodes because in preparation for my licensure exam, um, next week I'm going to be taking the National Clinical Mental Health Care Examination, which, like, something like 40 to 50% of people fail. So if that doesn't light a fire behind you, I don't know what does. I really would like to pass this. And as you know, this whole podcast is based, you know, I started it with the premise that um, teaching is the best way to learn. And I would really like to study this. And studying for the N... Oh, wait. The initials are are harder for me than the actual name. Uh, N-C-M-H-C-E exam. Yeah, that one. It's... Um, basically the entire DSM all like 970 pages um, you have to know it cold because you never know what they're going to ask on um, they give you I think it's 8 separate scenarios and uh, a whole bunch of questions and if you answer and it's like somewhat multiple choice they give you like 6-7 options per question and the ones that you get right you get you know plus 1, 2 or 3 points depending on how right the answer is and the ones you get wrong they actually take off points and they assess you on your ability to right, grade it on how well you assess the client and how well you treat the client. Um, so how do you study the entire DSM? It can be incredibly overwhelming. And personally, what I found is that by going through the differential diagnoses, um, noticing what's different between the different disorders, I'm able to understand both of the you know, all of the options of what this diagnosis can possibly look like and why it's not that diagnosis, I figured I would cover as much ground as possible uh, doing that. So in doing so, I'm going to start section by section and um, go through intellectual disabilities today. I will pick a couple of disorders, one at a time, and see why it's not other disorders. What would differentiate this one from being something else? What I know that this is what I'm looking at and I'm not looking at another similar disorder and maybe we'll get some clarity as to you know what these d- disorders are and be- the ability to recognize them and know the symptoms that define that specific diagnosis. We'll start off with Intellectual Disabilities, we have Intellectual Developmental Disorder. The, the DSM defines this as a disorder with onset during the developmental period that includes both intellectual and adaptive functioning deficits in conceptual, social, and practical domains in order for someone to qualify for I'm going to call it IDD because we're very into acronyms around here the intellectual development disorder you need three things the three criteria are number 1 deficits in intellectual functions like uh, reasoning problem solving planning abstract thinking judgment academic learning uh, learning from experience confirmed this these Deficits need to be confirmed by both a clinical assessment and individualized standardized intelligent testing. That's number one. Number two, you all, he would also need to qualify with def- deficits in adaptive functioning that would result in a failure to meet developmental and sociocultural standards for personal independence and social responsibilities. What, what we would need to see is an ongoing That without any ongoing support, the adaptive deficits would limit their functioning in one or more activities of daily life, like um, communication, social participation, independent living, um, across multiple environments, like in homeschool, work, and community. So we have these two different types of deficits. And number three, we would also need to see an onset of intellectual and adaptive deficits during the developmental period. There are uh, specifiers for intellectual disability uh, being mild, moderate, severe, and profound. Now, shifting into differential diagnoses, whenever you have these three criteria met, you got yourself intellectual disabilities. Just because you have one or two, you can't assume that that's what you're looking at. Even if there's a, a genetic or medical condition, that would just be linked to intellectual disability if they fulfill all three criteria. See what, um, now here's where you get, where it gets, we get into that gray area because intellectual disability can look like major and mild neurocognitive disorders. Intellectual disability is categorized as a neurodevelopmental disorder, but it's different from the neurocognitive disorders which are characterized by by a loss of cognitive functioning. We could see neurocognitive disorders With intellectual disabilities, for example, you could have an individual with Down syndrome who develops Alzheimer's disease, or an individual with intellectual disability who loses further cognitive capacity after a head injury. In such a case, the diagnosis of intellectual disability and cognitive disorders can both be given. Another differential diagnosis has to be made between intellectual disability and communication disorders and specific learning disorders. Communication and specific learning, those are specific to communication and learning domains, and they don't show deficits in intellectual or adaptive behaviors. They may co-occur with intellectual disability, but uh, both diagnoses are made if you have the full criteria met for both intellectual disability and a communication disorder or a specific learning disorder. So they can go hand in hand. The client can have both. But communication and specific learning disorders do not mean a cognitive disability. And last, we have autistic spectrum disorder. It's common to have intellectual disabilities with an individual who has autistic spectrum disorder. It could be complicated to assess their intellectual ability um, by social communication and behavior deficits inherent to autistic spectrum disorder, and that can interfere with understanding and complying with the test procedures. It's essential that we do assess for intellectual functioning in autistic spectrum disorder and we have to reassess across the developmental period as well because IQ scores in autistic spectrum disorder can be unstable uh, especially in early childhood. Now moving on to communication disorders. In uh, language disorder the diagnostic criteria is Four pronged. We have number one, the persistent difficulty in the acquisition and use of language across modalities. So they have our time speaking, writing, a sign language, or anything like that, just communication in general. Because there are deficits in comprehension or production, including either a reduced vocabulary, just don't know a lot of words, limited sentence structure, the ability to put all the words together, or three, an impairment in discourse, the ability to use vocabulary and connect those sentences to explain or describe something in a series of events in a conversation. So, that's number one. Number two is uh, language disabilities are substantially or quantifiably below those expected for their age. Number three is the onset of symptoms in the early developmental period. And number four, for language disorder, disorders, the, the, the difficulties are not attributable to hearing or other sensory impairment. Um, it can't be motor dysfunction or other medical or neuro- neurological conditions that are not better explained by an intellectual disability. Like intellectual development disorder or a global development delay for that matter. Now, when differentiating language disorders with other diagnoses, we have to look at normal variations in language. You have to make sure that, that this language disorder isn't just normal development, developmental variations. You have to look at the, the region, the social or cultural variation of that language, those dialects, to see if this is actually a disorder at all. Uh, then you also have to look at hearing or sensory impairment, because language deficits can be associated with the hearing impairment or a sensory uh, deficit or a speech motor deficit. Maybe this isn't a language issue. Then we also have to look at intellectual developmental disorder, check on maybe this isn't a language issue, maybe this is an intellectual issue because language delay is often present a presenting feature of intellectual disability. We're not going to give a separate diagnosis besides for intellectual development disorder for a language disorder unless the language deficit is clearly in excess of their intellectual limitations. You also have to look at uh, neurological disorders because language disorders can be acquired in association with a neurological disorder like epilepsy. Uh, For example, acquired aphasia or Landau-Kleffner syndrome. And finally, we have to look and differentiate language regression from language disorder because a loss of speech and language in a child younger than three years old might be a sign of autistic spectrum disorder with developmental regression or a specific neurological condition like Landau-Klefner syndrome. When you're looking at children that are older than three years old, language loss may be a symptom of seizures. And a diagnostic assessment has to be made to make sure that there isn't any presence of epilepsy here like any routine and sleep electroencephalogram if we have a client who has a speech sound disorder we have to make sure that it's not dysarthria dis- which is a uh, we we don't speech impairment might be caused by a motor disorder like a cerebral palsy So uh, neurological signs, like uh, a distinctive feature of the voice, um, that'll differentiate between dysarthria and speech sound disorder. Even though they're children who are under three years old, it could be hard to differentiate the two, especially when there's no uh, general body-motor involvement, like in uh, Worcester Drought Syndrome. There's also a concept of selective mutism, um, if there is a limited use of speech, that could just be a sign of selective mutism an anxiety disorder that is characterized by a lack of speech in one or more contexts or settings. Selective mut- mutism could develop in children with a speech disorder because of an embarrassment about their impairment. But many children with selective mutism exhibit snor- normal speech in safe settings, like when they're at home or with close friends. When a client has... Childhood onset fluency disorder, a.k.a. stuttering. We have to look at uh, sensory deficits, uh, normal speech disfluencies, uh, medication side effects, uh, adult onset disfluencies, or Tourette's disorder. Tourette's disorder are uh, vocal tics and uh, repetitive vocalization, which can sound like uh, stutters. But you can tell them apart by their nature and the timing. Now, to take a look into autistic spectrum disorder, we can differentiate that from social pragmatic communication disorder. In social communication disorder, the client has difficulty with pragmatics, or what does that mean? The social use of language and communication. They don't understand or follow social cues or uh, verbal and nonverbal communication in natural contexts. They don't follow the rules of conversations and storytelling. Now, we have to differentiate that from Autistic Spectrum Disorder because when people show signs of social communication deficits, we jump to autism. How do you differentiate the two? Because autism would have repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities, and their absence in social communication disorder. People with autism may only display the restricted and repetitive patterns of behavior or interests and activities during the early developmental period, so a comprehensive history has to be obtained. You have to know, when did this start? Just because now he doesn't have any symptoms doesn't mean that the client is does not have autism, if he has had these symptoms in the past. When would we give a diagnosis of social communication disorder? That's only if the developmental history doesn't show any evidence of restricted or repetitive patterns of behavior, interests, or activities. If there's none of that restriction or repetitiveness, then it's not autism. If someone's not following social cues, he might also have ADHD, which impairs social communication and functioning um, limitations to communication. ADHD can interfere with social participation or academic achievement. Finally, I mean, we also have to look at social phobia, social anxiety disorder. Maybe he's not picking up on Coos because he's freaking out. There's a lot of overlap between social communication disorder and social anxiety disorder. So how do you tell them apart? That's going to be depending on the timing of the onset of these symptoms. In social communication disorder, the individual has never had effective social communication. Ever. But in social anxiety disorder, the communication skills developed appropriately, but they were just not utilized because of the anxiety, fear, and distress about social interactions. Social community disorder, communication disorder never, this client never had those abilities in the first place. And then, of course, we have to rule out any intellectual disabilities or a global development delay. If someone is missing social communication skills, it could be he has a developmental delay or an intellectual disability, but you're not going to give separate diagnoses on, for the social communication unless there's so much they're, they're clearly more excessive than his intellectual limitations. Finally, let's look at the differential diagnoses for autistic spectrum disorder. Here we have some overlap with Rett syndrome. A client may have a disruption of their social interaction during the regressive phase of Rett syndrome, which is typically between the ages of one and four. However, you could tell that it's not autism if it starts getting better. You see an improvement in their social communication skills, and those autistic features start fading and are no longer concerning. You have to meet all of the autistic spectrum disorder diagnostic criteria in order for you to get that diagnosis and there are a lot of criteria and various severities there's social communication there's repetitive behaviors and interests we also have to make sure that we're not looking at a case of selective mutism but you can tell that apart because in selective mutism early development is not typically disturbed and he only has these communication skill disruptions in specific situations. We also have to rule out language disorders and uh, social communication disorder. The flip side of what we just did before, if the individual d- doesn't have those social skills or social interaction abilities, but doesn't, is not restricted and doesn't have those repetitive behaviors and interests, then we're not going to give him autism spectrum disorder as a diagnosis. However, if they do qualify for autistic spectrum disorder, that supersedes the communication disorders and then we focus on those restricted and repetitive behaviors. We have to rule out an intellectual disability without any autism, which could be hard in very young children Um, and even in adults. um, People with intellectual disabilities can also show repetitive behaviors. When there is no apparent discrepancy between the level of social communicative skills and other intellectual skills, then we're going to go with an intellectual disability diagnosis. However, if the client has fine motor skills and nonverbal problem solving down pat, but their communication and interactions are impaired, that's more, uh, that's going to point us towards autism. We have to rule out stereotypic movement disorder. Even though that does show up in autism, we would only tag it as a separate diagnosis when these stereotypes cause self-injury and become a focus of treatment. We have to rule out ADHD. People with autism can often have abnormalities of attention. They can be overly focused or easily distracted. When these ADHD symptoms are becoming more difficult than what's typically seen in Individuals at that comparative mental age, we can add a diagnosis of ADHD to autism. And finally, we have to differentiate schizophrenia. Because schizophrenia with childhood onset usually develops after a period of normal or near normal development. When you have hallucinations and delusions, which are a defining feature of schizophrenia, that's not featured in autism, however, clinicians have to take into account the potential for individuals with autism to be concrete in their interpretation of questions regarding the key features of schizophrenia, like asking, "Do you hear voices when no one else, when no one is there?" The answer could be yes. On the radio, there are a whole bunch of comorbid diagnoses that come along with autism. Intellectual abilities, language disorders. It could have psychiatric symptoms. About 70% of individuals with autism can have one comorbid mental disorder. And 40% can have two or more comorbid mental disorders. It could also be matched with ADHD. Dual diagnosis over there. As long as the ADHD is prominent enough and a focus of the treatment. It could be an, there could be anxiety disorders, depressive disorders, language deficits... Um, sleep changes or eating abnormalities that are challenging the client's behavior should make us evaluate um, and assess for anxiety depression. Uh, learning difficulties, uh, literacy and numeracy are common. Uh, so too, you could have development coordination disorders. Autism also comes with medical conditions, and those should be noted as a specifier to autism. This can include epilepsy, sleep problems, uh, constipation. Uh, We could also find avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, ARFID. That's fairly frequent. Um, It pops up with autism a lot. And extreme and narrow food preferences may persist. I hope you learned something. I definitely did. I hope to continue and pop out a couple more of these. I enjoy learning with you guys a lot. If you have any recommendations and ideas for Subjects of the next podcast. Throw them at me if you've appreciated or learned something that you'd want to share. Send it my way. I'm more than happy to read your email over there. You guys are
0: amazing. Have an awesome day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator